Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are listening to a Hive Talk Live Stinger Buzz Buzz. Welcome in, Hornets fans, to a springtime stinger here on Hive Talk Live. I've got a great interview lined up for you with Adam Chen. He is the editor and chief of BaselineBuzz.com, doing some great long-form work this season. They have a great staff over there at BaselineBuzz.com. Check them out when you get an opportunity. Adam Chin is not only a friend of mine, he's not only a great uh, thinker of basketball and longtime Hornets fan, going back to the original Hornets franchise, he is a plethora of great Hornets trivia. He also actually, fun trivia fact about him and I, he got me the job that led to the studios now being located in Uptown Charlotte, the Gittimer.com studios. So part of Hive Talk Live's success last season was certainly owed to Adam Chen. And uh, so we thank him uh, very much for that. But he is a, a great talker on the Charlotte Hornets, great writer as well. So that interview is coming up. I hope everyone is enjoying their spring, heading into summer. If you are in Charlotte, it is beautiful outside after a little bit of rain last week. We're going to be doing some things this summer, some things with video, some things with audio. It definitely won't be full shows probably until well into October, but we're going to have a lot of draft coverage. We'll obviously be on when things start to shake up in free agency, and they certainly will for the Hornets because they have a lot of decisions to make, and a lot of the unrestricted free agents have a lot of decisions to make as well. We'll have full coverage of that. Just make sure to follow us on Twitter at Hive Talk Live for the latest when uh, when we'll be on and when we'll be talking Hornets. So we'll definitely we'll we'll, we'll uh, satisfy that need that you have for Hornets talk. It won't be as frequent as it was in the season, but uh, our summer coverage is unique. It was fun last season doing the video breakdowns. I'm not sure exactly if we'll do that again, but we'll definitely be uh, continuing to experiment in video. So without further ado, let's get to this interview with Adam Chin of BaselineBuzz.com. Clifford is the first legitimate coach that they've had. And no disrespect to, you know, the Bernie Bickerstaffs, the Paul Silas's that have come before. Alan Bristow. A- Alan Bristow. <laughs> That's a call. Yeah, you know what? I was, gonna, I was going back in my mind to this, the Bobcats era. But if I go back to the Hornets era, yeah, other than like Silas's run at the end and, and Dave Cowan's two, was it two seasons really he was here? Mm-hmm. Um, that's... You two know, and a half, well, two yeah, and a quarter, two and a weird, quarter, weird quarter. Weird yeah. quarter. I mean, he was a peculiar guy, but he's very good at what he did. And he won 50 games um, back-to-back, I believe, when he was here. Um, you know, Clifford is a legitimate coach. He, he he gains respect. Did you hear the thing with uh, – it was a Zach Lowe podcast, uh, and I believe the Charlotte Hornets PR guy tweeted this out, that he asked Jared Dudley, and uh, Jared Dudley is an outspoken guy, he asked him – who's a coach that players around the league are talking about? And like the first, his first example 
was Steve Clifford. He was like, no, Steve Clifford. The guys love playing for him. You and know? it's because he is straightforward, he's honest, and he. I think he knows how to approach professional men who are making a lot of money. And, and he's out, He's spoken about this, about how you don't just go to Al Jefferson and say, hey man, you're a little out of weight, you're, you know, you're, you're not shooting the ball very well. You have to... You have to have film. You have to approach it a certain way because this isn't this isn't some regular job. This isn't where you have a boss and an employee. This that's that's not the kind of relationship that coaches and players have realistically or should have if you want to have a franchise where players want to come and play for you. Yeah, and he's consistent. I mean, like any sort of leadership. Uh, be a uh, management or if you're a coach in the NBA or if you're a parent, you know, you, you want, you know, as someone who is in that position, consistency is huge because if I'm coming to you as a, as a, as an employee or as a player or as a, as a child, I want to know that I'm going to get the same sort of instruction, you know, the same sort of behavior. And he's, if you look at him over the past three seasons, you get this consistent approach. You know, there's no emotional ups and downs with Steve Clifford. Like you see that you saw that thing that's uh, you know post uh, game two when when he was with the the press, he got a little testy, and you've seen it on the court a couple of times. He had that a, was an a, interesting moment. It, what did what did you think about his comments? Because you are in media like I am, and he was sort of addressing media as a whole. He did. Now let's be fair. He did walk back his comments a little bit and say that you know he was really addressing the fact that the press isn't around the team all the time and so he knows the team better than the press does well i mean you and i can sit here and talk about nba basketball Mm -hmm. but when you actually coach an nba team and do it Mm -hmm. successfully it's a whole different ball game it's like doing what you do professionally for a living and someone just commentating on it as someone who doesn't do that who's aware of it you know let's say you know yeah this guy's a really good uh, graphic designer oh is 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 he I mean, do you know, do you understand his approach, how he, he evolved and he originally, I mean, sorry, he eventually arrived at a, at a decision? You don't because you're not a designer. You know, you do something else for a living. I think ultimately, like, Clifford knows that he's good at his job and he knows what it takes to be good at his job. And he he got frustrated, you know, and but that's that's the 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 the, the height of his blowing up. When's the last time you've seen Steve Clifford blow up on a on a basketball court? He had that one incident with Al Jefferson, I believe it was earlier this season, right, where they snapped at each other, but they were, they made up like on the literally on the court like a couple of minutes later, and then he had the he had a couple moments with I think Chris Douglas Roberts. He had some uh, moments this season with with Jeremy Lin. I, I think several times they were had some back and forth about certain you know issues. And, Doug, and don't you know, don't do this, Doug. Don't, you're going to have every person, every Jeremy Lin, every every Jeremy Lin games. I just I saw every the, Jeremy Lin fan is going to get on Twitter no, and, I, and say how how see I told you. I'm sure Steve he's Clifford had the same. With, I'm Jeremy sure he's Lin. had the same with Kimba Walker. Those incidents just stood out to me, and and obviously they got brushed aside or not brushed aside, but I think they're they're not to the point where it's it's a big deal. I, I think. And I think that comes from the relationship that he has with his players and, and practice and and all the other times other than the game that when those incidents occur, emotions are running high. But I think the players have in the back of their mind that Steve Clifford knows a lot about basketball, that he's straightforward, that he's honest, and that he has their best, you know, their 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 best in mind. So, oh, I mean. 
long story short, he's just he's good. He's good. We're lucky to have him. Uh, he's respected around the league. The players respect him, and he's going to help us get those free agents that we need to resign. The team needs to resign back in the fold. I mean, you, you put Mike Dunlap in that situation right now. You put him on the bench. A, they're not very good this year. B, these guys like Nick Batum and Marvin Williams and Jeremy Lin, they're not like aching to come back and play for for the Charlotte team, right? Well, and we talk about this all the time, this idea that it's very difficult for small to mid-sized markets to bring in free agents or keep the free agents they have. And why is that? Because the city is not as attractive as other cities. The uh, advertising opportunities aren't attractive and sh- as attractive in Charlotte as they are, unless you're a transcendent player. So you need some kind of bargaining chip, or you need to target a specific type of player. And Charlotte seems to be targeting even keel guys that don't necessarily fit into that mold of a player that wants to expand his advertising opportunities, that wants to play in a city with a large population. They've done that successfully, but I think they're also using this bargaining chip of, hey, come play with this coach that is almost universally um, liked and respected among the league's players, and hey, he'll make... he'll allow you to play your game better. And as our friend uh, Nada, from, Nada Edwards from WFNZ points out all the time, he's going to get you paid. That's that's the that's the eventual, I think, the evolution of this, is that if you come and play for Steve Clifford, you're going to have a an opportunity for a bigger contract, and that could lead to free agent signings down the line. Well, this is about like craft as well. Because if you're a basketball player, that's your craft. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you can get all cynical and say, these guys just do it for the money. Marcus Aldridge, I think, is the big example from last season that decided instead of going to L.A., I'm going somewhere where I can play my craft at the highest level. And and the money will come. Mm -hmm. Someone who we both know, uh, his name is uh, Jeffrey Gittimer, I believe, Mm -hmm. said the best investment you can make in yourself is or you can make is in yourself. And then eventually the money will come. Mm -hmm. And these guys are doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing. I'm Nick Batum. I can go somewhere where a coach can put me in a position where I can be practicing my craft at the highest level and maximize my ability, right? I can look back on this one day and say, I I did this. I was at that level, right? And he's going to make $100 million. The mm-hmm. team's going to pay, someone's going to pay him $100 million, right? Had he languished in Portland this year, maybe not $100 million, right? Jeremy Lin, let's, I mean, the Lin fans don't want to admit it. He may, if he had not come to Charlotte and played under Clifford, he may not be in the league next year. Right. Or he, he may have been seen as a periphery player. Right. Like a Ramon Sessions right. type or something. Uh, whereas now people are like, no, this this in, put- a, in a thin point guard market, you could definitely see him starting somewhere. And like this guy can legitimately could legitimately, legitimately play basketball, put in the right position, put in the right position. Are we out of? Uh... Nope. OK. No, we're good. OK. So, yeah, I, I think craft. Uh, it's it's so easy to look at the the numbers because once you go from like oh well I'm, I'm making twenty million although I, but I'm going to walk away and play for some terrible situation for twenty two like that's a Carmelo Anthony decision and look at how miserable that guy is I mean just he's he's when Carmelo's career is over people will look back on that career and be like what really you had all those gifts you had all that talent and you just took what is it? Maybe let's say he made it. Let's say he made an additional thirty or forty million dollars, right? You could have, but you would you exchange that because he's already going to make quarter quarter billion dollars, right? 
for the chance to be seen as a, as a champion, as a winner, as someone who who is a warrior, you know. And I, 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 well, just, I think I think ultimately, and I, I don't know, this is a little off Hornets, but I, I think ultimately that we'll look back and go, Carmelo is a tragic example of someone that lost control of his own destiny, that d- depended on the Phil Jacksons, the Dolans of the world, and, and trusted them to put together a championship squad instead of going out, as opposed to LeBron, who says, I'm going somewhere, and then you're going to do what I want. You're going to bring this guy in, or I'm going to go get this guy, or I'm going to go team with this guy. And I think we'll look more favorably on LeBron than we ever will Carmelo, because you know, if you want to win a championship, I think it's just viewed more favorably by, I don't want to say millennials, yeah. but uh, but just younger people. I think it's all about controlling your own destiny. And oh, that's a good point. You're bringing in some pop culture and some like uh, some sociological stuff into this. I I agree. That's yeah, because if the younger generation is not interested in in this sort of long term, this this concept of being oh oh I have stability, I have they see it as being access, right? So access over ownership, right? In a lot of ways. So I want to have my freedom. I want to have my. I want to be able to to to, I want to, to maximize have, my 30s. I want to maximize my time. Mm-hmm. And I and and Carmelo is old school in that way, you know. Like I mean, people give LeBron all sorts of uh, grief for the decision, but the decision was to go win a championship. Like you can't have it both ways. Like you can't just be lucky enough to be like Tim Duncan and just get drafted by an organization that had their stuff together and that could put in people like Ginobili and and Parker. Like well, you, again, it was a recognition that. He had put his trust in Cleveland to to get what they needed to win a championship. That wasn't working. He controlled his own destiny, and Carmelo didn't. And so I'll, I'll interesting. Tur- I'll, I'll turn this back to Hornets and say that there are a lot of players, a lot of free agents now for the Hornets that have the opportunity to control their own destiny. But I look at a guy like Nick Batum, and I think you're right because that that he w- that he could stay in Charlotte very easily because. He's been playing professional basketball since he was 13 years old. He's seen a ton in his time, and he's also been in a situation in Portland where he has sort of uh, kind of admitted that he wasn't put in the best position to, to maximize his talents, and I think that's what everybody has priorities. Everyone prioritizes what they want out of out of the next year, out of the next five years, out of their entire career. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that Nick Batum prioritizes playing really great basketball over some other things. Oh, and you know what? You know, we we always think about this like, oh, well, when when a team has a, a point guard like Kemba Walker, they they have to have another playmaker. Like like that's that's on the team, right? Like that's on like on that's like a, a thing against Kemba. But at the same time. That's a big lure for someone like Batum, right? Because Batum is a guy who wants to have the ball a lot and he mm-hmm. wants to distribute and he wants to play more of the point situation, right? Like, like a point forward. If you're on a team with a point guard who's very ball dominant, you put you put Batum on the same team as Chris Paul, for instance. I don't think that works for, for Nick Batum, right? So like it's actually a really good situation for him from a personnel standpoint as well as the, the fact that the coach is putting him in position to win. And let's face it, the, the team can pay him whatever whatever he wants. They have his birds rights. They're in. They're they're motivated to do it. They've they've given up assets to get him. Unless he just has a change of heart, and says I don't like this place anymore. I want to go somewhere else. He's got, he's coming back. 
right? So the question really then is, is does that, and people have brought this up on Twitter to me, is, is that going to be a problem for Charlotte going forward to have a guy? Because Nick Batum's max, if they pay him his actual max, averages is like $25 million a year. That's right. a lot of money, right? And the salary cap, even though it's going up to, I think, $108 million next season, that's still a quarter, almost a quarter of your cap. You're paying one guy who can only play, what, 48 minutes a night. He's not going to do that. He gets hurt when he does that. So he's going to pay, he's going to play like 36 minutes a night. You know, right? Is, is it a good investment to have that much of your cap taken up by Nick Batum? That's a question for you, Doug. Well, I think if you're, that's a great question. I think if you're a small to mid-sized market, you have to make that investment because, you know, otherwise you're, you're not going to lure these these big time free agents you're not going to lure these guys so you've got to focus in on what you can attain and Nick Batum is a guy that has three four five tools and he helps the players that the other stars that you have in MKG and Kimball Walker he helps them play better that's the underrated aspect of Nick Batum it's not a shooting it's passing the 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 capa- I'll say the capabilities that he has on defense um, read Reynas's uh, latest piece on At the High for, uh, for for more on on Nick Batum's. Um, well, that's a defense. good point too because then you could say, well, if you have Batum and you're say you're paying him twenty five on average a year, but because you have Batum, he makes Kemba play like a sixteen to eighteen million dollar player when you're pl- when you're actually paying Kemba twelve, right? right. And he makes MKG play like a fifteen million dollar player, even though he's he's getting paid I think twelve as well, right? So like. You could say that, like, you could look at it as like as like more of a pool versus like your here's your here's your you're paying your top three guys, and they and the only way that they're worth that pool of money is if they play together, right? right? Like, there's a way you can sort of rational rationalize it out. Well, and you have to do that. You have to find the right pieces to play together, or or you have you have little to to no shot unless you dismantle the team and 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 try to get a couple of draft picks. So and that's I don't think that's not that's that. not they, what they want to do. <laughs> that's obvious. That's yeah. not what they want to do. They want to set a course and and have a future that uh, that involves several playoff runs. And and I think you have to use whatever leverage you have that includes Clifford that include that's why they I think that's why they re-signed him. And I think you have to use the bird rights and just well, here's here's over, my big question that. though, because I think I think okay, let's say it's it's a pretty predetermined outcome that they're going to bring Batum back. MKG comes back; he can play most of the season healthy, and you got Kemba. Okay, and then you got your periphery guys. Cody's decent. You got Dwight Howard. That's that's right. So like, so then do you say do we have some money? We can we can spend it on Dwight Howard. Like Dwight, I don't know if you've read. I mean, you've probably read a lot of the stuff on Dwight over the past few weeks have you yeah. been reading this stuff yeah. like there's been a lot of thought pieces on him and like well, he's been very vocal and about he's his been relationship vocal. with maury and how it broke down and he's less it's it's interesting though i think that he's he was very candid about the this meeting that he had with daryl maury the general manager of the houston rockets and maury basically said we, we don't want you to according to dwight be the journalist here according to dwight maury said that Dwight, you're not going to be a big part of this offense anymore. And <laughs> I love Dwight. I like, why not? Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> and 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 so they walked away from that meeting, and and Dwight admitted that he disengaged at that point, and and really, um, ha- he had to have some people come to him and say, "You got to get back into the game, there, kid." 
Uh, but he's less he's less candid about why his relationship with James Harden seemingly soured. Or maybe he was con- he seemed a little confused about it. You know, I'm not worried about that so much. I'm I'm like when I read that piece about how Maury told him that like you're not part of the offense anymore or not a big part of the offense, right. I was thinking like this is the anti Steve Clifford. Because Steve Clifford, his he's able to get guys to take on these smaller roles or to to do things um, to maximize what they can do versus what they can't. Did you? I mean, and, well, and, 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 well, let's but let's say this too that it's anti. I think it's anti Hornets organization because I, I don't think it would. I just can't imagine a scenario within the Hornets organization now where a player would jump Clifford and go to Rich Cho. To ask about a role on the that just from my experiences uh, hearing both guys speak and, and and my experience around the organization I just that just doesn't seem like a thing that would happen yeah I just feel like that's that's why you have Clifford because he has that direct line of communication with players and you look at that organization with with everything that happened in, in the coaching ranks with with Houston it makes sense there why that happened. If there's a prop bet as to which which team that Dwight Howard's going to join this offseason and you can pick Charlotte then that then that's that's good odds. I I read that and I was like this is a guy who's is searching for someone who appreciates him. This is like one of these guys and yeah, he has his own problems, but he is like at a point in his career I would hedge my I would put half my money on Charlotte. I would put the other half on Orlando. With Vogel and you know, but they they don't they that'd be a bad fit for him though. I don't well, from see, a personnel a, perspective. Okay, it would be a it would be a bad basketball fit, but it would be a a great psychological fit for Dwight because he wants. I think he wants to be loved again, and I think he he would. Th- I'm just trying to get into Dwight. This yeah, is like in, that's so being weak. John Malkovich. That's so I'm weak. To, what? That's like that's like LeBron. That's like that's like, mean, that's like that's like that's like we're talking uh, Dwight Howard here. That's like that's like generic LeBron, you know, like like the Cinemax to LeBron's HBO, you know. It's it's like LeBron goes home to win to win a championship to like go back to his roots where he's from, and he's gonna he's maybe this year he'll win one, right? Dwight going back. Remember the glory days that one season where I did that. I mean, I don't know. He's from Atlanta, right? He's from the South, so he would be like close to home if he were in Orlando. But he'd also be close to home if he was in Charlotte. And he lo- remember when Clifford was hired, they, they they wrote about it. Like Dwight said that that Cliff was his favorite coach he had ever played for. Well, he was the buffer. He in, was the buffer in Los yeah, yeah. Angeles. He would the, Dwight would go to again, and I, I think that shows you. There's Book it. Every, Book it. Every, he's here. He's here. He's coming to Charlotte. <laughs> every organization operates differently, I think, politically. And and there's I just think that the, there's a situation in Houston where the star player can go directly to the general manager. That's a problem in my mind. Well, I think it's better when you have this system of of buffers and, and things get handled before you know. They well, ever I get mean, to think that about point. it though. I mean, that's how Houston's set up. It's Houston. It's set up so that Maury is the big guy. I, don't think, I mean, Cho it's, has it's obviously hasn't been hugely successful. Yeah, and they you didn't know, get to a conference finals. Exactly. Well, no, that guy's a genius. You can't say anything bad about him. Remember, we have to worship him. He has his own panel at Sloan and <laughs> MIT, and you have to worship the guy, the ground that the guy walks on. You can't make fun of him or say bad things. So, but yeah, I just think I feel that that um, that. The, everything is lining up for him to 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 come to Charlotte and play, and it's the perfect personnel um, fit. Because let's just let's go down this road a little bit. Because I think it's really fun to think about. Because because in that Miami series, they desperately needed someone that could protect the paint. Okay, desperately to just to, just to be tough. And you know, Cody tried really hard, and he did his best. And 
you know, Al did his Al stuff, but Miami would just bully them and they just walked into the lane and all that stuff that Clifford does, like, you know, emphasize man to man. You know, so they so they don't get killed. You know, in the lane, like you need. They needed an intimidation factor, not not even performance, not even stats, not even block shots or anything like that. They needed someone that could intimidate the other team from constantly rim running, doing what Hassan Whiteside did to Charlotte, basically, mm-hmm. and. You know, they you put the personnel around him with like that Charlotte has. They have shooters. You know, they have people who can shoot and and distribute. You put Batum, you put MKG's not the best fit, but you can see them staggering those minutes when he's playing. Here's someone who would benefit tremendously from Dwight Howard. It's Jeremy Lamb. And I'm not not saying that the team is building their their team around Jeremy Lamb, but he's he's like a really good offensive player. You can't play him right now because if you do what you gotta you gotta fear Frank Kaminsky blocking your shot behind and protecting the paint, right? You gotta fear Cody Not Zeller. Yeah, exactly, right? So they don't have the personnel to 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 make up for Jeremy someone like Jeremy Lamb being out there. And to a lesser extent Jeremy Lynn, who again Lynn fans, I, I apologize, he's a he's a better defender than than Jeremy Lamb, but Lynn still struggles to keep guys in front of him sometimes. And then of course Kemba can get beat as well. So I think if you have someone like that back there that you can rotate in but the problem is, I'm going to be Devils. I'm going to be Dwight's advocate here, or 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 fans that don't want Dwight here. I'm going to be their advocate. The problem is not the the rim protection. The, the problem is with Dwight is keeping him happy offensively so that he will protect the rim. And can they can they situate the offense to both accommodate this? Four in or four out, one in. A lot of three pointers and keeping Dwight happy and keeping oh, him feeling like he's a part absolutely, of the offense. Absolutely, like I mean, he's you put Kaminsky next to him, Batum on the other side of the at the three, and then you play Kemba and you know Lamb, Lynn, whoever the this, the other wing is. Even Lee, if he comes back, I doubt he does. But if he comes back, then all of a sudden, because none of those guys other than Kemba need a lot of shots. Right. And Kaminsky can just go out there and draw draw guys out to the perimeter. He's only going to get better as a three point shooter. Right. So he's going to have that gravity effect, bringing guys out there. Now Dwight can. And what they'll do is with this classic NBA thing is they'll feed the center early. They'll feed they'll feed they'll like be Dwight. Just we're going to feed you early. You know, get your get your fill. And then the second half, Kemba and Nick and those guys can just start taking over, right? I think, yeah, I think that would be a good strategy. And I think if you look at how they reintegrated Al Jefferson back into the offense off the bench. I think you can look to that and say, okay, they recognized how they needed to play Al Jefferson despite the fact that they could not start him for a large majority of the games that he played in, and they were still able to satisfy the the amount of touches that he needs to be successful. I think a mistake would be to try to force him to play a pick-and-roll heavy offensive style because I think he's shown in the past that he does that's not how he wants to get started. I think if you can feed him early in in traditional post looks, the, the problem is he hasn't been that great in the traditional post look. But but maybe you if I think if there's anyone that can convince Dwight Howard and this is really my main point against people who would not want Dwight Howard and Charlotte. I think if there's anyone that can get him to play the style of basketball that will make him most successful, it's 
the coach that everyone seems to think can get guys to play the most successful basketball, oh, and that's yeah. Steve Clifford. Yeah, he, Clifford's. We know it's it's covered. He's he he could he could he could give Dwight what he needs, put him in a position to win, etc. Here's a question. Okay, is if you just replaced Dwight Howard and Al Jefferson, okay, just switch them out this season, like what's the net effect? I and, and to me, it's pretty obvious. Like. Like, mm-hmm. like everything that Al and, you know, I'm a I'm an Al defender and some and no pun intended because he doesn't defend people. But, you know, it's like I, I, in some respect, but he's terrible defensively. He's such a liability. I know he's done a better job, at least in 13, 14, two seasons ago, we're just putting his body in position to get in the way. But during the playoffs, it was just a, it was like it was just a, a, a turnstile. You know, people just go just walk through. Where's your ticket? Oh, yep. There. Go ahead and just lay it up. I mean, and whereas at least white reputation and still the ability can go in there and discourage that behavior. And I think what he, what he can make up on the defensive end will absolutely outweigh the, the offensive shortcoming that you'll, that you'll go down. And he's not like he's Bismack Biombo down there on the offensive end. He can actually, he can actually finish. They look awkward. They don't look as smooth as Al Jefferson, but he can, he's not like, he's not biz, right? And Dwight won't be competing with that level of star, that needs the ball like like James Harden. He will be playing with players in Nick Batum who loves to give the ball up. He'll be playing with Kimba Walker who really only takes the offense into his hands when he absolutely has to in the last two minutes of a game or when everyone else is hurt. That's when you'll see his you know shot or when everyone else can't score offensively. He at some point in the game decides, all right, this is on me. I'm going for it. Uh, it's, but, it's but that was James. That was James Harden from the jump. Right, like he decided that as soon as the ball was tipped. Exactly, and that's and he was empowered to do that. Right, right? so like by Maury, yeah. yeah, by the organization. So like the like situation with Charlotte, it is an ego free environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there a dominant ego? Like, oh man, that's you know, like you said, the biggest ego would likely be Kemba, right? And well, and he only takes over when he has to. He's not, you know, it's. It's the perfect situation for in so many ways for Dwight if he's got a clear head about this. If he says, I'm going to take – I mean, what, what would you pay Dwight? Like 15 per at this he point? He seems like in all of his interviews, he seems in a very introspective place. Exactly. So – He's if, made a ton of money. He's made – I mean, how much money does he need? He's made $100 million, maybe more. You worry about the back issues though too, I think. Well, you, you put a team option on the third year. I mean, you give him at least two. Because that way he knows there's some stability, and then maybe you put a team option or a partial guaranteed at the, on the third year. I don't think they have the leverage to really dictate those terms. I think because I think he's going to command something from someone, so I think he's going to dictate the the, the terms more than the organization. Okay, so if if I told you. If I told you yet tomorrow that the Hornets just signed—I mean, obviously they can't do this until July—but if they signed Dwight Howard. Three years, $45 million. Or you're like, wow, that's a good deal. And they're all guaranteed. How do you feel? Or you're like, man, that's that's risky. I, f- I, would, pin- I would pinch myself and then I would immediately wake up and realize that's a dream because I think he gets, I think he gets $20 million. I don't You think, think he, get- he gets I- six, like, like three years, I- 60? Someone's going to do it, I think. Wow. And, and the Hornets could if they structure it around. But I think he makes more than 50. Who, who's desperate enough think, to pay him 20? I think it's high. In, I don't know, but I just think it's, it, it could go as high as 20. I think someone could max him out if, if they, if they check, you know, if things check out with max the Dwight Howard, that's like, 
27 hey, million dollars a year for for Dwight There's nah, a lot nah, of nah, there is a lot of cash out there. That's yeah. the only issue. That's, yeah, there's but, a but, lot but of there's, cash. There's a lot of cash but there's less dummies. I don't think there's there, 50, there, there, I don't think he's a 50 million dollar player. There, there's there's a lot of cash but there's less dummies running running teams. If Billy King were still involved in uh in in the Nets organization maybe or if Rod Higgins gets this job what is it in Minnesota. Here's uh, here's my thing though the East the, there's so much potential to take over the East mm-hmm. still, and, and and there's no there's no clear number two or number three team. So I, I just think that there's going to be opportunities out there for for teams to spend money. It'll be a team that misses on their first two swings. I, I go back to it again. It's it's more than just the money though. It's got to be a combination of Howard has been for in Dwight, back. Probably, I'd he has say been, less so has I, because in, money. It's not always about money in a sense of. I need X amount of dollars to pay X, Y, and Z. It's about I got to get paid this because that guy got paid this. Respect. This, I get. I get that yeah. part. I get that part of it. At the same time, he's come off back to back teams in which he was an ill fit, and they didn't understand him. Right, like Lakers and Rockets. Like again, he's heading into like like irreverence zones like but, here but like, i don't think he puts that blame on himself but even 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 someone who's um who 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 can't see it can understand it on some level like he has to understand on some level and let's hope he has people around him that can say listen it wasn't your fault dwight at the same time putting yourself in position to win is is like what well, they say half a life is showing up well it, a half life is also showing up in the right place right if you so you you got he's he's been in the wrong place he's been showing up in the wrong place it's a bad fit for him right so let's get him in a position where he can near guarantee some kind of success i'm i'm like i'm like all into this now i'm going to be like the champion online of of Dwight to Charlotte i'm going to start a hashtag what's a good hashtag uh, Doug? uh D12 to CLT. That's terrible. That's a terrible D, hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> D12 CLT. There you go. Because it's like, it's two, the two is in there. I don't know. I, look, I'm not a social media maven. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll think about this a little bit more. Okay. So, so we talked about Dwight. Um, who, let me, let me give you the other guys that are in, in Batum. Let me give you the other guys that, that are free agents. And if you had to rank them, because I think, I, you know, I've already done this online. You can read my, my post about this. But if you had to rank the, the remaining free agents, which ones are coming back and then which ones are gone? Okay? You ready? Okay. You want to do one at a time or you want to do the big list and you, you rank them? How do you want to do it? Give me the big list. And okay. I'll, so I'm ranking them from they're absolutely coming back. Yeah. Okay. To, to, to they're going somewhere else. Okay. Okay. Marvin Williams. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Lin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Courtney Lee. I, well, honestly, I think all three are gone. But Whoa. if I... But if I had to rank them, I'd say in terms of uh, absolutely coming back to not coming back, I would go Marvin, Lynn, Lee. I think Lee's gone. That's 100%. He's already excited about unrestricted free agency, and I don't see where he fits on this team because I think he ha- he will have starting opportunities somewhere. It, okay. won't be on, it won't be in Charlotte. I see that. Uh, I think Lynn, again, I think the Charlotte is a great fit for Lynn, both the city and the team. But I think he'll have an opportunity to start, and ultimately that, and I talked about this with Adi Joseph as well, I think that ultimately is like a siren song for him. I think he see. I, I really think he views this as, 
I got to give this one more shot. I got to give this starting thing a one more shot. And if I stay in Charlotte, that's not going to happen. I'm, yeah. I'm basically rolling the dice on a Kimball Walker severe injury, mm-hmm. which isn't a terrible dice roll. <laughs> of, you know, yeah. in terms of all the dice rolls hey, in the world, that's not wood. a terrible one. But, yeah. um, and then I think Marvin Williams, I, I'm honestly, I think it's, it's more on the team situation because if, if the team has an opportunity to, if they have to max out Batum and they have an opportunity to go after Dwight, then and giving him more uh, enough money to get him to come to Charlotte, then I think that makes signing Marvin Williams very difficult. So I think that situation is more on does does a team want to bring him back? I would be very hesitant because I think you have a guy in Marvin Williams who really maxed out his like that's that's as good as it's going to get. And you're asking him to replicate that in his what eleventh season in the NBA. That's going to be very tough, and I think you're going to have to pay him more money than he makes right now to, for a lesser performance. And I don't know. That's like buying buying high, selling low. Yeah, yeah they're all big questions. I, I agree with you. And I read Adi Joseph's piece uh, about Lynn um, or that the off season priorities for Charlotte, and that does make a lot of sense. I mean. And I understand Lynn, and I understand the Lynn fans um, being so so fervent about his ability as a starter and his ability as a as a NBA player. Because it's funny, I walked, I went to like three games um, this season. You know, I live out of town, mostly out of the country, but I live out of town. So I went to three games this season, and the first one that I went to. I walked up to the main concourse, like uh, right, like I think at halftime, the the secondary concourse, the mm-hmm. top level, right, and they've mm-hmm. got those, you know, the posts with the players, right, right, like uh, like draped on the posts, right, mm-hmm. it's huge, like their faces are like five feet tall, it's massive, you know, mythological, mythological, right, and I'm walking up there and I see Jeremy Lin on this, and and as a lifelong Charlotte Hornet fan. And as someone who, whose grandparents are both Chinese, uh, or were born in China, um, I look at that and I'm like, "That's really cool." Like, I, like I, I try to stay out of the whole race thing and like all the identity, but that it was really cool to see because he looks like my uncles. You from know, a, he looks from a sense of pride. <laughs> from a aspect, sense of pride, yeah. he looks, and that's the first time I had seen that. Like that's the first time I had seen. And yeah, Miao Ming is just like some laboratory creature. He's he's not a real person. He's I mean he's seven foot six. He's a giant person. Okay, he's, but Jeremy Lin looks like like he could be someone that like is in my family mm-hmm. on my dad's side, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like that's cool. And then I see like an Asian American like dad and his son go up the escalator next to it. I'm like this is a big deal. And and I and I try to, to de-emphasize that part of when I of of how I see Lynn when I when I talk about him in terms of an objective basketball context, mm-hmm. but that is a big deal. And if if he can be the starting point guard, Jeremy Lynn, starting point guard for an NBA team as an Asian dude, that's a big deal. And and, and he should try to do that if he can get that position. Now, the flip side, let's go back to the craft thing again. Is if he goes and he he goes and just because he can get a starting gig or he's promised it early on and he gets a nice long term contract, but the coach is a bad fit, the organization's a bad fit, and then he ends up being seen as a marginal NBA player again, and then that doesn't make anybody proud. Oh yeah, Jeremy Lin, remember that time that he, he was good uh, as as even as, even as a half Asian American person, this is get me going. You know, I, I'd rather have him be in the league for for another six seven years and play at a high level as like a sixth man or a seventh man. 
and have postseason success and play meaningful games and have and 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 actually do things in those meaningful games, right? Uh, then then just have them start me nominally somewhere. It's just not interesting, right? So th- th- there is this thing. I understand both sides. Um, I-, I want him to come back. I want him to come back. I desperately want him to come back because I think that the organization has unlocked something in Jeremy Lin's game that allowed him to play at it at an extremely it, to me it was a it was worthy of six man consideration even though it didn't get any I thought you know he he played exceptionally all year because he was able to not only provide a lift off the bench for a majority of the year but he was able to step in when Kimba was hurt and play at that Lin sanity type level and yeah. that's that's such an I mean you can't understate that as an asset where a player can come in and drop 40 off the bench you know it's it's such a that's that's not every team doesn't have that no and so to have him again would be would be an asset but i think that you know we we talk about these decisions so much when when players are free agents and and we forget i think that they are human being decisions like they're sitting down and they've got to weigh things that are often a lot of this stuff is not in their control because not every player is LeBron James or Carmelo Anthony tying this back to the beginning of the discussion a lot of players don't have their own destiny in 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 their control and they have to I think if you're Jeremy Lin you have to weigh like if I go to situation x what's going to happen to, to, to and and but I think ultimately this is just my prediction I think ultimately there is that there's going to be that siren song of Jeremy Lin wanting to impact the game in a very direct way. I think that's what motivates him. I think that's what drives him. And I respect that about him. That's, you, you would it, hope so. You would hope so. It gives him that ability to to come in after being on the bench all year to come in and drop 40 as a starter. That's what allows him to do that. And I think that's what he craves. I think that's what he thirsts for. And ultimately, I think that's why he ends up leaving Charlotte. But he did that once already, and he did that for Houston, just like Dwight Howard, and it was the wrong situation. And he, I think he'll be careful. I think he'll be much more careful about— well, This is my point, Doug. Yeah. Let's, now, let's, let's, let's qual- or quantify the siren song opportunities. Where, where are these opportunities? You know, it's the deepest position in the league. I know, it's a, I know the, the point guard free agent class is rather weak. This season or this offseason, but it's a really deep position. Someone's going to just trade for Jeff Teague, and that's going to and that's going to be their starting point guard, right? And in, the, in, in the East, it's it's Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Milwaukee. I do think you are, if you're even I think if Milwaukee you, would be a very interesting? Yeah, but those, but prospect. the problem is, is, what's Jeremy Lin's weakest uh, component to his game? What's his What's the thing he's weakest at? It's his jump shot. And it's he struggled with it again this year, right? He he really improved his turnovers. Look at his turnover rates; his best in years, maybe his best of his career for this many minutes. But he struggled as a, as a jump shooter. And yeah, in the playoffs, and, he really he had to revert to, and and a lot of it was what Miami was taking away. But absolutely. he had to go. He had to go to the rim time after time. And then look at the Bucks roster. There no, there's other than Middleton. There's nobody that can shoot, right? Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a compact. So they'll be, That's what I'm saying. They'll be very welcoming to this. <laughs> <laughs> now, to me, Milwaukee's a terrible choice for him, right? Because now he's now the offense stinks, he stinks, or he's not as good, he's not as effective because they just pack the lane, right? There's a lot of guys that need touches, and a lot of guys that want to do the same thing that he wants to do on that team, right? So to me, that's a non-opportunity. The other other position is what Brooklyn, seriously, like that's 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 a train wreck. You know, you don't want to go to that team. You don't want to go and, and suffer 
Who do they even have? They have Brooke Lopez and just like a bunch of scrubs, right? I mean, un- unfortunately, that's where they're at, right? Because of what their GM did to them, right? And then who's the – what's the other, the other team you said? The, uh, the Philadelphia. Th- Phil- oh, oh, yo, yo, okay. That, I, that's oh, just an me. I don't, I, I don't really – I haven't uh, – I'm not I'm not on his team. So I, or I'm not – you know, I'm not in his inner circle. So I haven't done uh, the, the extensive research. I mean, that's – imagine going research. from Charlotte – to Philadelphia, where he's going to be on the team with, first of all, all those guys are going to be like seven years younger than him, and they're going to have zero experience. And they've had a very different agenda in Philly than, than Charlotte. Charlotte's like, let's go compete and win. And Philly's like, let's just hope we don't get demolished tonight, right? That's a yeah, very I, I different... But I, again, you just don't know what the priorities are if winning is really... you know th- what, what What is the priority? Is it to control the outcome of the game or for the outcome of the game to be... You know, well, I think I think he's going to I mean, like, listen, basketball, even if you're even if you're de-emphasize somewhat, it's still a team game and there's still mm-hmm. five guys on the floor. You, unless you're a Kobe, you know, unless you're a LeBron and you're going to just handle the ball or the ball's going to be in your hand the whole time, you're not going to single-handedly win games. Like You still have to rely on teammates, right? It's a, And you got you and your teammates can't play 48 minutes a night. Like you're going to and, and I know there's a certain uh, 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 cachet to starting. That's yeah, great. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he's in a great situation. He could be the, uh, the Hornets' Kirk Heinrich. You know, he could be our Kirk Heinrich, Clifford's Kirk Heinrich, to like, you know, what Tibbs did in in, in, in Chicago with him. I think he's he could be way better than Kirk Heinrich. And, and by the way, Heinrich was really good when he was on. Um, but I, I, why not be that guy and have a stability and have, have, have success over seven, say, say even the next four to five seasons? That's a possibility for him versus just floating out. Oh, I had that one year where I played for a team that won 21 games, but man, I had, I averaged 18 points and showed them. It's like, no, Brevin Knight did that for the Bobcats, you know, like like uh, Corey Maggette. That's That puts you on Corey Maggette's level. And no offense to Corey Maggette, but come on, that guy's forgettable. Ben Gordon, all these guys, like no one cares. Nobody cares. I have to, th- I'm throwing these names out there. Half people listen and have no idea what I'm talking about. And this is like four or five years ago, right? So it, there's bigger things than just than just starting and, and, and a little bit more cash. But I think... I think there's also this idea of not wanting to have regret or not wanting to leave something on the table. And if you sign and you you know you're going to be a backup and that's not I, I don't know. I, I just you know, a lot of this is just speculating about what a man feels and we just don't know. But I would I hope he stays. I, I think he would be a great asset to the team. But I just I just have this feeling that it's it's not this is not all he wants in this life. Well, I mean, okay, then we throw the third thing on on top of this, this little third layer, and that's the branding and co-branding aspect, right? MJ, Nike, brand Jordan, China. Like, there's guys, uh, they may have tweeted at you too. They, they let me know that in mainland China right now, there were you had access to almost every Hornets game. You had to pay like, pay like pay-per-view for a lot of them, but they had a tremendous amount of access to Hornets games where in the past nobody knew what the Hornets were. Like not, And so people are talking about, I mean, yeah, yeah. Jalen's Taiwanese, but he's Chinese, right? Mm-hmm. So like, um, and then you, and my, my big theory now is then they draft that dude, Ju uh, Chi, I guess he says, who knows? I'm saying that totally wrong. I don't speak any Mandarin. I can but, spell it. Yeah, they, 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 they draft that guy. 
and at uh, twenty two. He's, he's roll seven, the dice. He's seven. seven he's seven one. He he he's like a he's like the the East Asian Porzingis, right? Yeah, look, I mean, twenty when you're drafting twenty two, it's roll the dice. Look, drafting one through three is a crapshoot. Twenty two is resign Lynn horse racing. Bring in Joe Chi. Lynn speaks a little Mandarin. You co-brand that with Brand Jordan. They're going to be walking around with those Brand Jordan logos on their jerseys next year, right? Is that when this starts next year? They're mm-hmm. going to have the Brand Jordan. So now you get this co-branding, you know, situation. And what do you do? All those ads that are being sold in the arena, they go for a lot more money because they're going to a billion people, two billion people. Pardon me. That's a, you're you're already starting the cons- the marketing conspiracy theories. I mean, come on. I mean, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> just do it. Just bring him on. Because who else is going to watch Hornets games? Do you think people in New York are going to watch Hornets games? Well, the pro- I mean, you know, the problem from a financial, uh, I think, from a financial aspect is that, again, I think there's going to be a team that offers him not only an opportunity to start, but more money than the Hornets if, if they want to, if they want to pursue some of these uh, players in free agency. It's going to be difficult for them to give him the the money that he'll. So he'll have to take another. Is he already took another? He already took one pay cut to, to come to Charlotte. Well, okay, that's debatable. I mean, there wasn't. He did last very long in free Reportedly. agency. Reportedly, yeah. I mean, uh, now can they can they pay Jalen? You know, ten million dollars a year and get Dwight. That's I looked at the books. It's not possible. They'd have to do this thing with Batum. Basically, they have to sign him later, agree with him. It's all timing. That's what it's people timing, don't understand. Right? It's like, oh, like, just do this, this. It's like, well, you, the timing has to work out. And the problem is, you have to, You again, we, we've been talking about priorities this whole interview. As a GM, you have to prioritize who you have to get to first. Deal with them. But if you deal with them first, and it, it takes you X amount of time to get that deal done, those other players that you didn't prioritize first have the opportunity to be lured to away. negotiate with other teams. Yeah, so it's it is it is an issue. Here's um here's the thing, right? So the the team so on on in the negative side, you could say, well, the team has so many free agents. You know, there's going to be so many issues going forward uh, this summer trying to bring these guys back. Flip side, they got a lot of flexibility, right? And they like you said, they have a, we they have a coach who people love. So great, okay. So when I say flexibility, I also mean they've got Jeremy Lamb, who they owe like six and a half, I think, next next season to. I mean, if you're Philadelphia, if you're Milwaukee. Don't underestimate Trader Show. Yeah, you can those guys aren't difficult to move. That opens up another six six and a half million off the books. You can you can attach the pick if you don't want to use that pick. Uh if someone takes Ju Chi before you do, then you <laughs> you can attach that pick with Spencer Hawes' contract and someone can pay Spencer Hawes six million dollars for the next two years. And, and, and he's off the books, right? I, I say don't underestimate Trader Cho because from a GM's perspective, trading is much more uh, or is much easier than dealing in free agency because you control your own destiny. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just look. This is all about tiebacks. It's like a, a Mitch Hurwitz uh, version of a podcast. We're just doing callbacks the whole time. This has been incredibly fun. I want to ask you one more question before we wrap up. As a longtime Hornets fan. What did this resurgence in, and not only in terms of wins, but transformation of this Charlotte Hornets team in one season into a team that has the offensive firepower that they had in the the, the late 90s, or really mid-90s, late 90s and early 2000s, what has it meant to you? Oh, I mean, just going to the games that I went to, watching them, 
um, you know, getting that feeling, you could feel it. Even when I was watching them overseas this year, I was watching, I could feel that. Again, I'll use the word buzz. I mean, you mm. feel it. It was excitement. People were mm-hmm. this. They were taking the Hornets seriously. Mm-hmm. They were. This wasn't a, some joke of a franchise. And this is the start of the renaissance because this is what this is the Hornets team that I grew up with, right? Like we did. All these old school Hornets fans didn't become Hornets fans because they they just they were like they felt bad for them for ten years. They were actually good. They were, we had good we had good players. We had good teams. We competed. Did we ever win conference championships? No. We 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 had fifty win squads. We had Glenn Rice. We had LJ, we had Muggsy, we had Dell, we had Zoe. We had hope. We had hope, and we and we and we actually, you know, for the most part, executed as a as a real team. We had an opportunity to win, right? Mm-hmm. And so now we have an opportunity to win again. I my my big hope, and they have the people in place. They have Cho, they have Clifford. I really hope that MJ and and the business side of things. They 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 understand that this needs to be sustained. This needs to be. You have to practice being great. You have to practice being legitimate and get into the practice of being this good for a while. And that's going to get. And then if that's going to establish the ultimate culture of the team, that's what I'm really hoping that they don't just take this as like, oh, we see we did that this year, and then that's all we had to do. No, this is a this is a prolonged process. The Golden State Warriors had to do the same thing. They, they did. went through a similar process, I think. And they were a joke for a long time. Like I, I, I know a guy who's been a fan since. I mean, he's like 45 now. He's been a fan since this. He was a little kid. They had like they had zero hope, right? Like like since the 70s, right? And it, now when he's watching these games now, he he can't believe it. He, he literally he, he gets the, all his friends growing up. They all get together in their mid 40s. Now they're all get together just like crying. Steph's hitting these shots from, you know, half from half court and, and, and they're dominating. You know, they're they're now tied with the Thunder, but they're they've got a championship now. They're before doing that, things before right. that before they got lucky, they had to build a culture that could sustain that talent. And that was the ownership. Obviously, that was a big part of it. <laughs> Um, don't tell them that. They don't, don't they, they, well, they're, they're very they're very aware of how awesome they are. <laughs> Just ask them. Um, and uh, and and then you know the, the Spurs. The Spurs had you know built that over a long period of time, and that's that's who the Hornets. I, I hope that's who they emulate, uh, both from a business perspective and from a from a uh, basketball ops perspective. I want to thank you for joining us, and and we we need to do this more often not just at the beginning and the end of the season we need to do some stuff in the middle of next season too i'm in i'm in let's do it we'll we'll talk to you again around the draft excellent thank you doug it takes a lot to get excited about a bag but most bags can't save you 20 percent on auto parts that's 20 percent off headlamps 20 percent off oil filters 20 percent off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99 cent napa reusable bag so tell your buddies there's a bag they just have to check out quality parts helpful people that's napa know-how napa know-how at participating napa auto parts stores while supplies last minimum three items exclusions apply offer ends 10 31 17